You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Derek Jeter! This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome on into a Monday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast with a very special guest kicking us off. I'm Adam Weiner alongside Thomas Carinante as always. And we're going to run the live stream we did today in a little bit, about 40 minutes from now, because we got something more important and fun to kick off the audio edition with. We were so happy to be joined today by Yankees world champion, Yankees dynasty kickstarter, Jim Lairitz. Slugged the home run off Mark Wohlers in 96. Slugged a hugely impactful home run the year before in the DS. And faced the Yankees in the World Series in 98. All this guy did was hit the clutch. He opens up. He gives us his secrets, kind of, to the best of his abilities. And he tells some hilarious stories from back in the Dynasty days. You're not going to want to miss this one. So the live stream coming up in a little. But first, multi-time Yankees World Series champion catcher, Jim Layritz. Jim Lairitz, I, I can't believe you're here joining us, uh, and I've got a million questions for you um, all about your career with the Yankees, your multiple stops. Uh, you seem to hit a clutch postseason home run literally every time they acquired you. Uh, we'd love you back. Uh, but before we get to your playing days, you broke some news a couple years back. I will never forget that you had the Giancarlo Stanton trade to the Yankees first. Without revealing any of your sources, how like how did it feel doing that? Because I'll never forget that I, I I had full faith in you and you came through for us. Well, you know, it's funny. A lot of people don't remember back in the day that for five or six years, I had a pretty good TV and radio career with plenty of resources. And, uh, you know, one of the things that had happened after I had gone through my accident and went through everything and was, was coming back, um, I just happened to be sitting in New York one day it was about eight o'clock at night on a Friday and um, a buddy of mine gave me a call and he said, Hey, listen, I got some breaking news for you. I said, what's that? He said, I'm sitting at a restaurant in Miami and at the table next to me are some people that work with Giancarlo Stanton and he's going to the Yankees. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. He goes, um, you want this news? I said, listen, I only want the news if it's if you can confirm it. 
And he goes, no, it's confirmed 100%. And I'm like, does anybody else know this yet? He goes, no. He goes, they literally, he goes, I overheard the conversation at the table next to them. And he said, uh, you know, he goes, you can do it. So I was sitting in a cigar bar in Long Island at, at, the, at the Carlton Hotel, or Carlton. And I just sent out a tweet that said, hey, Giancarlo Stanton to the Yankees, done deal. <laughs> and there was a party going on that night for all of the Yankee guys that sit in the bleacher creatures. And a lot of these bleacher creatures are fantasy camp guys. And all of a sudden, it just started going viral. Like, Lairitz, are you sure? And and because my account at that time wasn't hashtagged, a lot of people didn't know if it was really me. And I'm like, but the guys that did know, they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, guys, 100%, deal done. And so this thing goes viral. And, you know, throughout the night, I got people texting me, Jimmy, are you sure? Can you confirm? And I'm like, 100%, done, 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 done. All of a sudden, the next morning, I wake up and I have a message on my phone, and it's from Harold Reynolds. And Harold left me a message. He goes, Layritz, how did you get this news eight hours before any of these guys like Ken and Joel and all these guys that would give up their firstborn to have this news? How did you get it? And I said, Harold, I can't reveal my source, but I broke it first. And... So early later that year was the winter meetings that were in Orlando and I happened to be driving through and I just decided to stop by and, you know, make my presence. And I walked into the winter meetings and Joel Sherman and Kirchin and all these guys, they came up to me and go, listen, that's not right, man. You, you, you're not even reporting nowadays. And how did you get that news before we did? I said, well, I just happened to have some good resources. <laughs> that is so Helps awesome. to be connected. Um, Jim, before we get into the playing stuff, now we're on this topic. I want to know what you think, because this is usually a point of contention with Yankee fans. What do you think of that John Carlos Stanton trade? How is it, um, in your view, you know, uh, change the trajectory of the Yankees? How do you think it affects their future, especially with now Judge kind of hanging in the balance? I want to know, you know, everything you kind of think about it. Yeah, you know, listen, it's been kind of disappointing, I'm sure, because we haven't won a World Series, and that's one of the reasons we went and got him. Um, his performances have been iffy. As far as health goes, when he's been healthy, he's been somewhat productive. Um, and he has hit some big home runs in certain times to get us into the playoffs, through the playoffs. So I don't think it's been a total disappointment. I don't think it's what we expected. I think we expected a 290, 45 home run guy, and we haven't quite got that. But again, part of that has been health reasons. And maybe we're getting to the point where he finally had a pretty healthy season this year, put up some pretty decent numbers, still not the numbers that we expected from a 30, $40 million player. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, next year we get into, since he, since this year was better. And if we can get judge to be re-signed that these two can combine and finally get to the Yankees to the, get, get past the Astros to get to the world series. Yeah, and we'll be talking plenty about them probably forever because they seem set up for eternal success. Um, but they claim to be a dynasty. They're not. The last true dynasty in baseball was you guys, uh, 96 through 2000, 2001, if you want to stretch it that far. But you were a part of you know the 96 World Series in a major way, the 99 World Series as well. Uh, you faced the Yankees in 98, but you were also, you know, perhaps even more importantly, a key figure on the team's 
that started this whole ball rolling. Like you were a massive part of 93, 94, the teams that started to believe. Um, and a lot of people say that the 94 team could have started the dynasty even earlier, potentially, uh, but they sort of get cut off. The the strike happens and, and they get that season ripped away from them. We never get to see Yankees Expos or, or whatever that might have been. Uh, what do you remember about when the 94 strike happens and you you sort of realize you're on this magical run and you might never get it back. Um, luckily, you got it back. But at that moment, what what are you what's sort of going through your head? Well, to be honest with you, um, the beginning of that regime started in 1990. Uh, Gene Michael took over when Mr. Steinbrenner got suspended, and when Mr. Steinbrenner was suspended, Gene Michael said, "I am going to build from within. We're going to start over again." And they got rid of Winfield in '89 and. Henderson and all those all those free agents and I get called up in June of 1990 and I get called into Gene Michael's office and he says Jimmy don't mean to put any more pressure on you but if you get off to a good start I can start bringing some of your younger buddies up from the minor leagues and he's so I got off to a great start Kevin Moss came up next he hit you know 12 home runs in the first month he was there then he brings up Oscar Azokar Alan Mills some names that didn't pan out, but started pretty well to start developing from the minor leagues. And of course, 91 is Bernie Williams, 92. You know, we, we start building from within. We get Sterling Hitchcock in 94, 95, Andy Pettit in 95, Bernie Williams, I'm sorry. You know, all these young guys started getting a chance. And I felt like I was kind of the beginning of that. And by 94, like you mentioned, we had a pretty good team of a core of players that came up from the minor leagues, but also players that we that Gene Michael went out and got, like Paul O'Neill, Wade Boggs, guys that were complementary players, veterans that could help us younger players. And of course, Don Mattingly being the center point of those teams in the early 90s and in, in mid-90s. Uh, and then of course, like you mentioned, 94, we were having this great season. Buck Showalter was our manager. Donnie was having a great year. Uh, I was having a great year. Mike Stanley was having a great year. Guys that were just, you know, role players for a while were really impacting in 1994. We have the strike. We lose that season. And, of course, we're all disappointed because even more affected was Montreal because that team probably would have beat us in the World Series with the pitching staff that they had. Um, and they wouldn't have lost baseball in Montreal. Uh, but yeah, fortunate for us, we were able to keep our team together, the core together, 95, we get on that run, we, we make the wild card with Pat Kelly hitting a huge home run, of course, Pat Kelly being another kid coming through the minor league system, uh, hits the home run to beat Toronto to, to win the wild card, we end up going to the playoffs for Don Mattingly's first time, and of course, Donnie hits 450 or whatever through that series, Unfortunately, we don't win, but we started having the building blocks to build 96. And then, of course, unfortunately, Buck Showalter loses out. Gene Michael loses out. Gene Michael's still part of the organization in a, in a leadership role more than a GM role. They bring in Bob Watson and Joe Torrey. And, of course, we have that magical run that we had in 96. Jim, you left something out about 95, uh, that home run you had. I think uh, a little bit, a bit of an important piece of information. And we, we actually wanted to talk about that, too, because 
that year, 95 Yankees break, what was it? A 13 year playoff drought. Um, it's one of the worst, you know, eras of especially modern day Yankees baseball. Um, and you had a multitude of uh, clutch moments in the postseason. The first came in this one, game two of the 95 ALDS, that homer in the 15th inning in the pouring rain. Uh, you got to just tell us how that felt and the relief, you, you know, you had uh, rounding the bases in that exact moment. Yeah, you know, I tell a lot of people, they, everybody always points to the 96 because that's really what started the dynasty. But the 95 home run, to me, is still my biggest moment because it was the first time I ever hit a home run in the postseason. It was a walk-off in Yankee Stadium. And it was, you know, I had caught all 15 innings. And the best part about it was Buck Showalter had just come up to me and said, Jimmy, this is your last at bat. I'm, Mike Stanley's going in to catch. You've caught 15 innings. Make it count. And sure enough, I hit the home run to, 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 to the walk-off. Uh, we have the big pile. We get done with the pile. I walk over to Buck, and I give him a hug, and I said, hey, Skip, did I make it count? And, uh, you know, we celebrate that. We have a great trip to Seattle. We're up 2 nothing. You know, we, we think we're in great shape. We feel like we're going to bring Don Mattingly back for the next round of the playoffs to get the send-off that he deserves. And, unfortunately – we get swept three games in Seattle and we lose. And that plane ride back from Seattle wasn't quite as happy as we thought it would be. Uh, but it was still a great series. You know, we, we didn't feel like we gave them the series. We feel like they beat us. But it, it was the building blocks. And unfortunately, Showalter gets fired. But that moment, that walk-off home run in Yankee Stadium, to me, is still one of the greatest moments. But also what I tell a lot of kids nowadays is it really did teach me also something that you can have a moment that is great individually, but if your team doesn't win, it becomes a footnote. And of course, that 95 home run was a footnote because we didn't win. And then in 96, I hit the home run and, you know, we can talk about that if you want to set that up. Oh, we will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my my dad was at the game in 95 uh, that you ended with the walk-off. And I wasn't, but it was the first time I became aware of baseball because I was so jealous that he was there. I was like, all right, I got to get there next year. Um, and I and I, I made it out to some 96 games, of course. Uh, but, um, yeah, let's set that up. I mean, how could we miss that? Um the moment sort of in your Yankee run is, is game four in the 96 world series. It's one of the most incredible single game comebacks in the history of the fall classic. And you were the one who tied the game. Wade Boggs ultimately, you know, won it with the bases loaded walk. Um, but you have Mark Wohlers on the mound. Um, got everybody throws a hundred these days. Like every reliever has got one Oh one, but back then, you know, Wohlers is sort of like the guy with the electric fastball. How did you trick him and Eddie Perez into coming off the fastball and throwing you that juicy slider? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I could ever – I've never spoke with Mark uh, other than a, a quick hello when he was a Yankee. Um, and I've never spoke to Eddie Perez about it, but I would like to know why they might have gone to that. Mark Wallers did say at one point the reason why he threw – because it was on the scouting report that I was a dead fastball hitter. And he felt like he could get me with the slider. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a situation where uh, uh, going up to bat there, uh, I, I was in the on-deck circle. Well, actually, I was in, in the by the batting rack in the dugout. And I looked at Don Zimmer, and I said, hey, Zim, what's this guy got? And Zimmer goes, he throws 100 miles an hour, Jimmy. <laughs> and he said, just get it ready. 
And I went to Daryl Strawberry, who was standing next to me, and I said, Straw, I, I'm I'm catching Andy Pettit tomorrow. We face the Smoltz. I only have two road bats left for my for the game. This guy throws a hundred. Can I borrow one of you? And he had a brand new set of Mizuno bats. And I said, Can I borrow one of those? You know, and, and use yours because I don't care if I break yours. And sure enough, Straw said, Yeah, go ahead and use it. So I sure enough, I go up to bat. I hit the home run. And if you watch the replay of it and and, and what's online. You see me hug everybody in the dugout, and I push Jeff Nelson aside, and I go, Straw, that's all you, buddy, because I used his bat uh, to hit the home run. It's kind of like Mickey Rivers letting Bucky Dent use his bat when he hit the home run. Uh, but it was it was one of the moments that people always say, what was it like rounding the bases? I said, you know what? All I could think about was if we don't win, this home run, like 95, will be a footnote. And we've got to win this game. And sure enough, Wade Boggs gets the walk. We win the game. We go on to win the series. And that home run to this day is known as the home run that started the dynasty. And for a kid that was never drafted, was a never an everyday player who complained about playing time his whole career, to have a moment like that, i that's a, that iconic in Yankee history, it's a pretty special moment. And uh you know, just the other night we were in New York and at Joe Torrey's dinner and we were all sitting up on the on the dais and it was David Cohn and Jeter and all of us up there. And David Cohn said, there is no doubt in his mind that that home run is what started the dynasty of the late 90s. And uh, to have that moment is pretty special. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And I wanted to kind of, well, we wanted to ask the moment you hit the home run, right? Because you, you, we, you go on to win the world series. It's a great feeling. It's clearly the turning point, but after we always talk about the vibes surrounding the, the, this current Yankees team, there's always something off. We don't really, we can't really put a finger on it. Um, But when you hit that, what was the vibe in the dugout, the clubhouse? Did you guys know that that was, that was the turning point that you were going to win that the Braves now you kind of broke them and you were, you were going to go full steam ahead. Well, one of the things that Joe Torrey had pointed out to us before game three, and of course that was, that was David Cohn's game that he, you know, he pitched a great game and, uh, there were some tense moments during that game. And, of course, Bernie hits the home run to give us a little more support. Um, and that was a big win for us. And um, one of the things that you know we talk about all the time is that the reason uh, the Atlanta Braves had won the first two games in New York, and they made a comment to the, their, their newspaper that said, we're so happy we swept the Yankees in New York because now we can win at home because we hate their fans. We do not want to go back to New York and we hope we never play there again. And Joe Torrey brought that article out and said, guys, let's just get this series back to New York because they don't want to go back there. And sure enough, after we won game four, the first 15 minutes, the media is not allowed in the locker room. And we're all sitting there celebrating and we're like all yelling, we're going back back to New York. We're going back to New York. And that was the big thing. And then Andy Pettit comes up to me and he says, Jimmy, thank you so much for hitting that home run. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, now I don't have to worry about pitching an elimination game. And I can go out tomorrow and be a little more relaxed pitching game five. And sure enough, we go out, we pitch that one nothing game in game five. That's 
the importance of not only winning that game, but also the games that followed to have that pressure a little less on everybody in the dugout. So that that was that's why that game was so important. That series, you know, we have a whole dynasty after that, and that series still means the most to me. It's got the most indelible images. Pettit, Cone, your homer, O'Neal running on one hamstring, catching that Luis Polonia shot, Hayes, all of it, Boggs on the horse. My dream is get a big framed Boggs on the horse photo for my man cave, so if you can make that happen, I'd love it. The bigger, the better. Um, But that team was so special, and it wrapped with a parade. Uh, Your first championship parade in New York. Uh, take me through that day and, and what's the wildest story you can tell me on the podcast from that day? Well, I can tell you, uh, it was very interesting because it was our first year of winning. I had been the longest tenured Yankee in that team, uh, because Mattingly had just retired. Uh, so I was, I was the senior member on that ball club and we were standing there and we were just getting ready to go to the floats and there was a two buses to the right. And as I was walking with my wife and my two-year-old child, the, uh, the, the person that was directing us said, okay, Jim, you go that way. Your wife and your son have to go this way. I go, no, 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 no. My, my kid and my wife are going to enjoy this day. And I turned around and I told all the players, bring your wives with you to the floats, you know, and we all did. And we all brought the wives and, <laughs> All of a sudden, right before we get started, somebody that works for Mr. Steinbrenner, I don't want to mention names, but she came over to me and she said, Jimmy, Mr. Steinbrenner wants you to take off your cowboy hat and get your family off the float. And I said, you go, I said, I don't want to kill the messenger, but you go back to tell Mr. Steinbrenner, this is just as much my day as it is his. And I won't do that. And the wives are staying on the floats. So we go through this whole thing. Now, I don't know any of this is going on. So we get back to City Hall, and we're all getting off the floats. And I'm standing right in front of Mr. Steinbrenner and John Henry, who was part owner of the Yankees at the time. And John Henry is the one that told me this story. He said, Jimmy, you were standing there, and all the wives were coming off, and they were hugging you and saying, thank you, thank you so much for you know letting us be on the float and doing this. And he said, George is standing behind you, steaming mad because he didn't want the wise on the floats. And he goes, and you turn around and you looked at George because you knew this. And you go, George, is it that bad that we had the wives on there? Look how much they're enjoying the day. And he said, you're lucky, Larry. And that was probably one of the funniest stories that I had because he didn't really want the wives on there. But after seeing how much they appreciated he was like, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You did something good that day. Uh, so that, that's a pretty good story from that 96 thing. But here's the other story, too. The other story from the 96 team winning is fast forward to 1997, and the Yankees lose like they did. Mariano gives up the home run to Alomar. And G. Michael told me this story. He said, after we lost, Steinbrenner comes storming into my office and says, get rid of Tory, get rid of Mariano, we're done, we're starting over. And Gene Michael said, George, 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 hold on a sec. Did you forget that we won last year? And George goes, okay, I'll give him one more year and that's it. And then of course, they have the magical 98 season. 
And Joe always has me tell that story whenever I'm with him at some of these events about how big that 96 team was to keep his job in 98 and to be able to them for them to go on that run that they did in 98. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Yeah, and speaking of '98, you were playing against the Yankees in the World Series. I mean, how yeah. often, how often does that? Did, I don't know if we've ever seen that before. At least anything that we can remember off the top of our head, something of that magnitude. But um, you know, what was it like uh, going against in the, an organization such as the Yankees, who you were extremely familiar with, with all the success that you had, um, and one that was on uh, on path for the MLB wins record? Did you have any intel? Did you you know any other way to help out? Uh, your Padres, especially the pitching staff heading into that series? Well, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we talked about it a lot. Uh, you know, of course, I was the Yankee insider as far as that goes. Um, but it was one of the things that we we were, you know, we were obviously uh, an underdog, but we were an underdog against Houston. We were an underdog against Atlanta. We weren't supposed to be there. So we were just like on a high and we knew that we didn't have a lot of pressure on us because the Yankees you know, after that magical season, had all the pressure. And going into game one, we felt pretty good with Kevin Brown on the mound. Unfortunately, Kevin Brown got food poisoning the night before. And in between every inning, the first five innings, he was throwing up in our dugout. 
And getting to the point where Bruce Bochy was like, Brownie, you sure you can go out there? And so when Brownie went out for the fifth inning and got the first out, Bochy saw him go behind the mound and literally throw up in his glove. And so Boach goes out to the mound and sure enough sees that Kevin Brown is white as a ghost, is can barely keep his, you know, his 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 mind open and decides to make the pitching change and bring in Donnie Wall. And of course, he gives up the three-run home run to, to Knobloch to tie it up. That was the changing point. And then, of course, Tino being called out, not being called out on strike three uh, from Langston. And then the next pitch hits the grand slam. The deflation in our dugout was like, holy crap, these guys are destined to win this thing. And then, of course, losing that game, we go on to the game two. And then, of course, Andy Ashby has food poisoning. And he's not 100%. So we're like, you know, did the Grand Hyatt Hotel send room service <laughs> to these two guys? Were they part of this conspiracy theory? And, you know, we all these different things. But anyway, the first two games losing in New York was very difficult because it really kind of deflated us to the point of going, we're up against the dynasty. We're up against the team that's destined to win. And unfortunately, we thought we had another chance in game three. Trevor Hoffman gives up the home run to Brocious, and it just wasn't meant to be for us. Um, but it was a great run on the Padres. And I always tell people the difference of playing in New York and playing in San Diego and in the World Series and losing a World Series. When you lose a World Series in New York, you don't leave your house for a couple weeks. In San Diego, we lost the World Series. We still had a parade. Um, it was it was a difference of two different organizations where they were at the time. But of course, losing to them, um, you know, it, it was tough. But again, losing to my friends. And then, of course, the one great thing that happened to us as the Padres is we get that 98 run that we went on, got our fans behind us to vote, to vote for the new stadium in November. And we get approval for the new Petco Park. So we had a victory also, it, just like just like the Yankees did winning the World Series. That run that we went on was just as important to San Diego because we got approval for that new ballpark. And the fan element sort of brings me to the present day Yankees, the, the thesis that we're hearing that now all of a sudden, like, you're, I mean, you're right. These fans are intense. They always have been. And now we're sort of hearing from multiple people, these rumors, like, Maybe they're booing too much. Maybe some players are feeling too much pressure. There's internal dissension in the locker room. Where do you stand on that? What's your perspective on this recent take that fans booing is maybe affecting the team and, and their morale and making them consider leaving in free agency? Well, the first thing I'll say is my first education, knowing that I was playing for the New York Yankees, I was in double A and Dave Island and I were teammates. If you remember Dave Island, he was a pitcher and mm -hmm. was a pitching coach for the Mets and so forth and so on for the Yankees. Anyway, Dave and I were roommates. Neither one of us had ever been to Yankee Stadium. And we were playing for the Albany Colony Yankees in double A. And we had a day off. And I said to uh, to Dave, hey, let's oh, – sorry about that. Something just happened there. Hold on. I got to get you guys back. Sorry. Where oh, are you no at? Worries. You're good. We hear you. We see you. Yeah. We oh, you see you. you. Okay. Yeah. 
All right, there you are. Sorry about that. Um, so anyway, so Dave Island and I, we have a day off in Albany. And I said, hey, the Yankees are playing at home. I'm going to call down and get us some tickets. Let's go to the game. And it was about a two-hour drive. So we take the two-hour drive down. And we're sitting right behind home plate. And I think it's right around August, September. And um, it's there, there's 40,000 people in the stands. And Don Mattingly was having an MVP season. And all of a sudden, the first time Donnie comes up, you know, now batting number 23, Don Mattingly, number 23. And the fans are going nuts. They're going, MVP, cap, cap, come on. And he hits a gapper. It's a, it's a double his first time up. And the fans are nuts. And I look at Dave Island. I go, dude, this is awesome. I go, I cannot wait to play here. This is unbelievable. And he's like, yeah, this is great. Well, then Donnie comes up two innings later. He's got guys on second and third, and he pops up with one out. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you heard every explicitive. You suck, Mattingly. You're the worst. You're the da-. And, Don, and then Dave looks at me and goes, dude, there's no way if they're booing him like this, we could never play here. It was, it was the first initiation for me to know, hey, this is New York. You're only as good as your last at bat no matter what you've done. And the bottom line is they expect you to come through every single time and they're going to stay on top of you for that. And that was my initiation. So I always, I always expected. And one of the reasons, one of the pleasures that I had as a player playing as in New York was that to be successful, you have to be accountable. And the New York Yankee fans, as intelligent and as smart as they were, they kept you accountable Every at bat, not just for a game, but every single at bat. And I thought that was great. I enjoyed that pressure. A lot of the guys don't. But you know what? I always said, if you know the New York Yankees over the last two decades, they expect you to be in a World Series every year. And if you don't get there, it's considered a failure. So if you're going to come play for the New York Yankees, know that you're going to play under those conditions. Don't be mad when a guy, somebody boos you just because you didn't do the job. You know, they expect you to do the job every time. And by the way, I will tell you, any of these current players that watch this, if you do succeed in New York, you can be 58 years old and look back and go, it's the greatest fans. It's the greatest people in the world to play for. Because even when you're 58, if you've done something good, they will never forget you. And even like when Derek was talking about it the other day, because we were just in that, in that Joe Torrey's dinner, Derek said the same thing. There are no better fans to come back to. And just the other night when I was at the game, it was the last game of the season when we lost to the Astros. It happened to be on the anniversary of the 96 home run. And they played this date in Yankee history on the Jumbotron. And they played my home run, and then they cut to me in the stands right behind home plate. And hearing those 50,000 people scream because they do never forget was such a, a joy for me. And it's the reason why you put up with the booze, you put up with playing in New York, because if you ever have success, they will never forget you. I uh, I wanted to piggyback the last topic we were talking about the fans. You know, there there is this uh, overbearing demand. You know, you could say from New York fans about uh, success and expectations and all that. 
Um, and it's starting to boil over, right? Yankees have won World Series since 2000. Um, they've only appeared in one since 2009. Um, so, you know, you could say some of the frustrations are valid. I think some of them are are a little bit excessive. You know, we try to we try to toe the line with our frustration um, here and there, but it gets difficult because you're 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 uh, you're following this team for every pitch, and you know, there's a lot of postseason disappointment, um, and we can't help but think. Uh, we don't know really what to put our finger on and we we always are intrigued to ask players of of yesteryear to kind of you know you you're dialed into the Yankees you're watching all the time uh, you know some people say it's analytics some people say it's um you know the front office some some say it's the the evolution of uh you know maybe the personality of some players what do you think the the main issue or two with this current iteration of the Yankees has been and you know where they've struggled against their chief rivals a lot of struggles against the Red Sox you know they got punked by the Rays a few times they've been they've been a doormat for the Astros for you know five six years now um from your playing experience you you played with the best you you've seen the highs um what do you think this team is lacking or what do you think the the consistent problem is well I can tell you this there's one team that is basking in the failure of the Yankees and that's the Atlanta Braves yeah now we know how they felt when we kept beating them every year. You know, I was just with Bob Costas at Joe Torrey's dinner, and I always joke with him, after they did the 95, the, the Braves win the 95 series, he labels them as the team of the century. And all of a sudden had to backtrack after 1999, and we beat the Braves again. I Now as Yankee fans, we feel like what the Braves fans felt all those years that the Yankees beat them. Unfortunately, I think it's timing. We've run into an Astros dynasty that, yeah, maybe they haven't won a lot of World Series, but they've been there a lot. And that's kind of what I think the Yankees have run into. What do we have to do? We don't have to do a much different during the season because we've had some pretty good seasons. We do have to learn how to win in the postseason. And I think what I think to me personally that – the analytics have become too great in the game. They're going to be great analytics to have a great season, have a good season. I always liken it to the stock market. You can go with the you can go with the odds during your during the season and be successful. But if you really want to be the big one, you want to win the big one, you got to take some chances. You got to go against the grain. You got to go against what you got to do what more you see than what is on paper. And I think, unfortunately, we've been too much uh, analytically. And I think we have to go back to, like, Joe, Joe Torre, again, I, get, I keep going back to Joe Torre's dinner because it was just last week. Um, he tells the story about when he walked out to the mound in game, in game three with David Cohn, that every analytical thing would have told him, take David Cohn out of the game to face Fred McGriff, bring in a lefty. You know, that would have been the analytical move. But when he walked out to that mound, he looked in David Cohn's eyes and said, can you get this guy out? And David Cohn said, yes. And you know what? He walked off that mound without taking him out. And that was that's what's missing in this game today. And I'm going to tell you this much. I know Dusty Baker personally. That's who Dusty Baker is. That's how Dusty Baker coached his team. He did things that, yes, the analytics said this, but his eyes and his heart said something else. And he went with it. And you know what? That's what I think the game has to come back to more. Again, the framework during a season, you can be successful with analytics. 
But once you get to the postseason, analytics, you can't have an analytic that does a heartbeat, that does emotions, that does what do I what do I do in with, with 50,000 people that I realize the Bill Buckner moment that I could possibly have for the rest of my life if I don't do this well or I don't come through. That is a whole different animal for people that they don't understand. And no analytics can possibly measure that. And that's the thing I think is a disconnect for fans because they're all they have an access to is the mathematical side of it. And they're like, I don't understand. We did, you know, X, Y, Z, but, but you're the one in the room and you know that there, there has to sometimes be a deviation. Like Tori did it with Cohen in 96. Tori did it again with Cohen in 2000, bringing him in for Denny Nagel and, you know, get that last out in the fifth, like these decisions that an experienced baseball man has to make. Um, that fans can't and you know speaking of having a heartbeat and clutch like no one was clutcher than you and some people will tell you you know clutch isn't real great players do great things but you were a great player and you were also extremely clutch do you have a secret to that or is it just you were the man in the moment time and again well I share with a lot of kids when I when I speak to kids colleges and things like that. I share with them all the time. I got a, I got a piece of advice as a 14 year old kid, as a bat boy for the Cincinnati Reds, as I was picking up the baseballs for Pete Rose, who was hitting in the batting cage by himself after everybody had left. And he was doing these drills that he always does. And I sat there one day and I said to him, Pete, I said, uh, or I actually said, Mr. Rose, I wouldn't call him Pete back then. <laughs> um, but I said, Mr. Rose, I said, I got a question for you. You know, you seem like you always come through in the big moments. You know, how do you do that? How do you handle that pressure? And this is spring training. And he said, Jimmy, right now, while I'm hitting in this cage, I'm treating every pitch, every at bat, like it's my last one. And you know what? There's no fans around. There's nobody around right now. But I am pretending that I'm in the middle of a game that, this, that every at bat is important. And you know what? When I go out to the field for a spring training game, I take the same approach. And when I get to the World Series, guess what? It's still me against that pitcher. That's the most important thing. What's going on around me, I won't get caught up in if I take that approach every single time I get in that batter's box. And you know what? It really helped me focus that way. Like, hey, every, you know, start from the very beginning. When you start taking batting practice, when you start hitting off a tee, that you approach it like this is game situation, like you're in a game. So when that time comes, you don't get caught up in the moment. That was such great advice for me as a young kid. During high school, I always wanted the last shot in the basketball game. I always wanted to make the last putt on the golf team. I was always, I wanted those moments because I didn't get caught up in what was going around but I really, I wanted to be in that moment. And uh, I think that that's what really helped me as I became a professional ball player, as I became focused on every at bat, uh, that really helped me during my career. Jim, that was incredible. Uh, we miss you on the current roster. We miss that spark. We, we need more guys who want to take the last shot, get the last at bat. Um, and we thank you so much for joining us today. This was amazing. Uh, and uh, yeah, I want to relive those days over and over again. So we really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, well, let's hope we uh, we get to that time soon. And once we realize that you you the, the heartbeat of a player is more important than the analytics. 
Yeah, we're close and, and we're ready for you. <laughs> if you want to give him that talk, Jim Lairitz, thanks so much for joining us. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome on into a Monday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I'm Adam Weiner, alongside Thomas Carinante. I've been away on my wedding in Mini Moon. What I missed? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Everybody who thought Aaron Judge was going to be a Yankee when the offseason began still thinks it. Everybody who's predicting him to go to the Giants still thinks that. Anthony Rizzo declined his uh, option. He, he got out there on the free agent market. Somebody went super viral for saying that him getting the qualifying offer meant he was coming back to the Yankees. That person got thousands of retweets on completely false information. Elon Musk's Twitter, everybody. But Thomas Carinante is here to catch me up on what I missed. Doesn't seem like all that much, but I'm here to get educated just as much as anybody else. We're going to talk about the one Yankees target who might have gotten taken off the board by something beyond the team's control, the slow offseason, how it's developing, and the Hal Steinbrenner interview that really held his feet to the fire but also aired on the TV network he owns. So never mind. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us those five-star reviews. Drop us those mailbag questions in your reviews. Expand upon any thoughts you have. We're more than happy to answer your questions. Thomas Carinante, uh, sorry I left you alone last week. Thanks for holding it down. I was on the beach refreshing my phone, uh, getting tweets from 19 hours ago, getting push notifications from the New York Yankees when I woke up that said Aaron Judge signed to a $560 million deal. And I'm a smart man, so I, you know what? I don't think that's true, but doesn't change the fact that I shouldn't be getting those notifications. Uh, we're about to do a whole MLB offseason of, of this on Twitter. So that's great. Yeah, really fun. Um, and for the average fans out there, I'm sorry for you. Um, it was kind of already a little – got to be an experienced Twitter user to know who to follow and who to avoid, and now it's going to be very difficult to navigate those uh, those muddy waters. Um, but, yeah, you missed quite a bit. I mean, you missed quite a bit of nothing because you had Cashman talk to the media. What does he have to say? Jack shit. You have Aaron Boone go on the Michael K show and talk to the media – Jack shit, Hal Steinbrenner on his own TV network. I don't care what he has to say until something is done, um, which we'll talk about in a little in a little bit. But uh, mostly housekeeping stuff, a uh, couple of qualifying offers out there, picked up Seve's option, stuff we knew was kind of going to happen. Um, nothing momentous at this point. Um, but you kind of look at the situation for next year. Oh, man. What we do know, the couple of troubling things that we do know, which I can allow you to, I guess, get some some anger off your chest, is there seems to be a ringing endorsement for Josh Donaldson to start at third base next year from everybody who oh, has right. been to. Um, and look, the defense is great. The defense is amazing. The defense saves runs, but the defense is also not worth $25 million. Um, $25 million is, on an AAV basis, is reserved for all-around players. Um I know Brian Cashman couldn't really allude to anything else, but uh, he did say Aaron Hicks is still on this team and they hope that he bounces back next year. And that would yeah. be year four of hoping he bounces back. And that just can't be a realistic scenario. Well, um, if he's a 25 homer guy with 20 stolen bases, who hits 280 with great patience. I mean, that's a great ball player. Unfortunately, he's never done that in his life. Now he's five years removed from being half of that. And he's older no. every day uh, and loves golf. So other than yeah. that, I don't see any holes in that logic. Maybe senior tour for Aaron Hicks pretty soon. Uh, very good golfer. Um, 
And then there was uh, the one thing that I took from uh, the whole qualifying offer stuff uh, was Cashman was asked why Tyone wasn't given the qualifying offer. I think we kind of all understand why Um, Tyone is a good pitcher. Um, However, the qualifying offer at nearly 20 million uh, for one season uh, is a little bit steep. And then at that point you would rather just have someone you'd, you'd rather have Tyone on a multi-year deal, right? You're not going to, you don't want to handcuff yourself and, and, uh, and sign him and sign him to the one year deal. That's worth that much. Um, Plus the Yankees still have to figure things out. You know, they have, uh, to bring back Rizzo and judge. And we talked about the payroll situation. It's a little bit complicated. They picked up Seve's option that puts them around 210 million for guaranteed money next year. What's judge going to make is judge going to make that 36 to 40. That puts them at 250. What's Rizzo going to make another 20. That puts them at 270. Are they blowing past? Are they blowing past the Cohen tax threshold? I don't know, but that's what it's looking or they're going to have to unload some other salary, which I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, but Essentially, he was asked a question about about Tyone, and his response was that he's fine with going into the season um, with the rotation of Garrett Cole, great, Nestor Cortez, great, Luis Severino, great, Frankie Montas, no, and Domingo Herman, no, as a starting rotation. So I understand the jury is still out on Montas. Um, Somewhat, we got a bad shake of him due to an injury, it seems, and a change of scenery, which was very aggressive going from Oakland to New York. And then going from the friendly pitcher confines of the Oakland Coliseum to a very hitter-friendly park in Yankee Stadium. Then you factor in the shoulder issue that he was battling before the trade deadline, hurt him after that. Um, and I know Domingo Herman had a nice 15 games this year or whatever it was, but just give me a fucking break, man. Uh, I, the, you You can go into the season with maybe those guys as starters, but – that can't be your plan. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to do something and miss time. That can't be your definitive group of five starters. If you want to win, am I, is that crazy? Am I wrong? I don't know. But those are the three things that really were, you know, that, that stood out when, when he was talking on the podium. Yeah. I don't have full faith in Montas, but I don't have no faith in Montas. I think he has to be a part of your rotation picture next year. I don't think Domingo Herman should be involved at all. And I think you need at least two additional start. Like Herman is fine as your seventh starter, but Clark Schmidt, not impressive. Every time he started this year, honestly, not that impressive out of the bullpen either. Like for as much as we clamor for moments. him, uh, had his moments, but every time he had his moments, he was dancing out of trouble. A lot of three inning saves against mm-hmm. the Kansas city Royals. Not anything where I'm standing on a soapbox being like, got to make room for Clark in the rotation. And certainly got to count him as like this year's Michael King. No, hopefully last year's Michael King is this year's Michael King. He's supposed to be healthy. Uh, But there's like, I, whatever outcome happens with Clark Schmidt, I'm going to understand it. I'm not advocating for him to get a role, uh, you know, promotion immediately. I'm also not advocating for his dismissal, but he can't be one of the guys penciled into your preseason rotation or into the eighth inning of your bullpen picture. Montas has earned a rotation spot, but if he's the last line of defense, that's also bad. Like it can't be Montas goes down and then Herman or Schmidt pop into the rotation, or it can't be that one of those two is your automatic five starter. And we don't explore multiple options. I enjoyed Jamison Tyone. I think he deserved more credit for his Yankees tenure. I think he won the biggest game of the season. Both times he was in the rotation regular season, the, the game one sixty three against Tampa, with an ankle that needed surgery, he gutted that out. Uh, last year, he made a he, last year about a month and a half ago. 
He made a huge start against the Rays to steady things during their September collapse. He also won the clinch in Toronto. Uh, he showed up more often than not, and he had to start game one of the ALCS, which nobody wanted after like two weeks off. And he was fine. Won that. He was, was kind of getting rocked, hard hit balls, you know, off the charts. Stat cast, not happy with him, but can't really ask for much more from, from him. And if they had pressed the right bullpen buttons, you might go ahead and steal game one. More importantly, if the offense had had any idea how to get the runs, they could have easily cashed in against Justin Verlander in. We would have had a different game entirely. Does not fall on Tyone's shoulders. I would like him back, but if I'm getting him back, it's going to be for two years at like $30 million or maybe three years at 44, not one year at 19 plus, which is what the QO does to you. You ask me in the middle of May if the Yankees are going to offer that to him on the off chance he takes it. I say, yeah, probably they're willing to take that chance, but the season drags on he has his up and down months he has just like he did in 2021 he had this very hittable month plus where you're kind of like how can this guy even be in the rotation then he bucks up wins some big games again and you start thinking of him as part of the fabric of this team i think they could do better i think that's the fact of the matter um that they don't want to pay him 19 plus million dollars for one season because they can do better in that spot not to say anything ill of tyone's tenure in the bronx uh, I'd do it again, but it's not like he really took that leap they saw him taking when he got here. They acquired a four starter with injury troubles who had never hit his ceiling for more than one season. They got a four starter with fewer injury issues, but still some who was able to buck up when the moment demanded it, but was not a consistent, you know, number two performer. There was all this stuff when they got him, like he might yeah. have the best stuff on the Yanks staff outside of Garrett Cole. And it's like, I don't think he did. Uh, he was he was fun. I enjoyed it, but ultimately not shocked they did not from the qualifying offer. They obviously did it with Rizzo as insurance. They did it with Judge too. I'm not sure how to feel about where those two are at this point in time, but what I do know is that the qualifying offer doesn't usually get slapped on players who a team isn't afraid to have on the roster at that price for the next season. And that brings us to Jock Peterson who has felt like a great Yankees bench candidate, left fielder, uh, platoon guy for several years now with playoff experience. We've clamored for him at multiple deadlines, off seasons. He's like the power hitting Michael Brantley. This off season felt like another prime opportunity for us to all talk about Jack Peterson uh, coming off another good year in San Fran. And if they're going to chase Aaron judge, of course it would help if maybe we had, uh, you know, we were able to nab this guy. He's a free agent again. And he's got the qualifying offer. So the Yankees were assigned Jack Peterson. They would lose a draft pick. They weren't going to do it anyway, but now, yeah. come on now, there's no chance. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Yeah, let's clarify that they were never going to do this. So actually, this is kind of a good thing um, because now you can't get mad at the Yankees for not doing it. You're not giving up a draft pick for Jock Peterson. And then you got to overbid at that point because I think he's made in his career since debuting. I think he debuted in like 2014 or 2015. He's made $25 million since debuting. Now he's going to get almost 20 in one year. There's no reason for him to not accept that um, unless he were to get blown away with a multi-year offer, which the Yankees weren't going to do anyway. Um, this is an unhinged move by the Giants. I know they have money to spend, I guess. Uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, they tell I you mean, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the universal DH has changed things. Jock had a career year, like from an all around standpoint, um, he had for average great OPS, um, uh, a lot of walks, uh, home run. I, he had a good balance of, of all of it. Uh, but then again, good DH option, sure. Playing 81 games at Oracle Park, it's it, you saw his power numbers decrease as a result of that. If he was a speedster, it'd be a different story because if he's hitting gaps, he can maybe squeeze out a couple extra triples. Not going to be the case. So the Giants are just willing to spend $20 million for an above average DH and a guy who can't defend. Um, I think the Yankees might have been willing to get a guy like Peterson and sacrifice on the defensive end to give them that uh, edge offensively that they that they lack from a clutch standpoint and just uh, uh, a go-getter standpoint. Peterson's made his presence known in the in the playoffs for how many years now on on various teams. So it was an intriguing option for the Yankees. We had called for it for the last two years and didn't get our way. But uh, I think this is a little bit of a nutty move by the Giants. Props to them, though, if they're building up a team to convince Aaron Judge to come by. I, if I'm Aaron Judge, I like the aggression there. Carlos Rodon got the call, qualifying offer, too. I think there's a, a, a shot in the dark he accepts. It's a lot of money for one year. Um, and then he can – I don't know. if. Do you think that season was enough for him to play into a long-term deal? It probably was, but you just don't know what the pitching market's going to be especially with people like DeGrom and um, and Verlander ahead of you. I just don't, I don't really know. What are, are there any even are there any other long-term options out there? So Rodon probably isn't going to accept actually. Yeah, that's why I think Rodon's going to take the the long-term deal on the market. Yeah. Like I don't know if you were impressed with his durability last year, but I do think there's sort of a dearth of options. Let me pull up the free agent starters. Chris Bassett, but like yeah. It, yeah, it gets dark. Yeah. But yeah, either way, I mean, I guess the Giants set themselves up, right? Because they probably were 
prepared to lose Rodon and they said, all right, we'll keep Peterson and we'll just swap the money. And now we don't really lose our edge offensively and we can, we can keep that lefty bat, but yep. Fully screws the Yankees. And actually it's a blessing for Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner. Cause now we can't blame them. Yeah. Uh, Rodon is the only guy on the free agent market who I would honestly want on this Yankees team, uh, which makes the replacing Tyone thing all the more difficult. Cause you're just looking at the list, like Clayton Kershaw back to the Dodgers. Great. But like, did you even want to spend $25 million next year on Clayton Kershaw? Certainly did not. Uh, the options off the table, but Jacob deGrom will be, yeah, great. I mean, great, but no, Justin Verlander, you're seeing him connected to the Yankees more and more. Uh, but that was the same thing last year. So just don't get, don't buy that hype. And then, get got by the Ben Verlander tweet that says my baby brother is going back to Houston. Okay. Yeah. Unfollowed. Uh, Nathan Evaldi. Honestly, my favorite option out of all of these, but he's going to be honestly, there's no way the Yankees are the high bidder on oft injured former Red Sox, Nathan Evaldi. Red Sox are also apparently offering him a multi-year deal. Um, a lot of familiarity there. He's been with the Yankees already and they, he had the worst of him. They did not unlock him. They had the Tommy John, Nathan Avaldi. They had the four ERA and 220 hits and 190 innings allowed. Nathan Avaldi. They're. They, I. I would love to see him back in pinstripes. They're not going to do it. Noah Syndergaard not good enough. Zach Greinke going to go back to the Royals. Sean Manaya, Kyle Gibson. Why are you paying money just to get the guy who eventually gets knocked out of a playoff rotation? Like. Yeah. Yeah. I signed Sean Manaya to a two-year, twenty-eight million dollar deal. Yippee Kaye. And then the playoffs roll around, and it's like. How are we going to absorb the Manaya starts? Like, well, we're going to lose. We're either going to put him in the bullpen or we're going to lose those. The Padres didn't start him this postseason. The Phillies went to the World Series without starting Kyle Gibson. So not going to happen. Chris Bassett, Andrew Heaney, <laughs> Corey Kluber, Tyler Anderson, Taiwan Walker. I mean, there's some solid four starters in here. I, I guess Taiwan Walker is the, is, you know, would, would be an improvement over mm-hmm. Tyone. But then again, like what the it, amount of money he's been looking for, like there were early projections of like four year deals for Taiwan Walker. Yanks aren't doing that. So you're either filling the back of the rotation with guys who are already here internally or one year flyers or Ken Waldachuk would be nice right about now. So would JP Sears. Cause I, I'm looking <laughs> at the free agent list. Just like, they, they, let's say they get Sean Mania. You, you have to game plan to get Sean Mania out of the rotation by the time October rolls around anyway. So what's the point? Yeah. Fine. Five starter, but like, multi-year deal for that no thanks um just doing this pitching market tangent because we talked all about tyone and how it was technically the right call and it was but there's nobody here who you feel confident in you're gonna have to beef up the offense anyway maybe jock peterson's where that money goes and and now he's just not gonna be that guy yeah i don't know what to do i I really don't the pitching is tough i think i think if you're gonna invest I would go Rodon for a. I don't know what. I don't. How old is he? He's thirty. I don't know how long it's a four-year deal. You're oh, yeah. losing theoretically Luis Severino after next season. You mm-hmm. kind of got to prepare. Um, I don't know how long the Nestor Cortez party is going to last. We only have uh, what two hundred forty innings of proof of that. Um, and you're always in the back of your mind with every pitcher. You're like, okay, regression could be on the way, or injury could be coming. Um, Garrett Cole has been a friggin' workhorse his entire career. Like just gotta, you gotta be looking over your shoulder for these types of things to happen. And someone like Rodon would be good insurance. I think your next move is, I mean, I'm not paying the Yankees are not paying Jacob DeGrom. Let's get that straight. If they're worried about injuries, if they're worried about injuries and if they're worried about paying top of market price, someone's going to be giving him 40 to 50 million. 
And they're going to get 12 starts out of it next year. Yeah. And you're going to get hat. Like I think the Yankees are smart enough to know that they have to avoid that. Um, I don't want Verlander. Um, If we get him great. I just don't know if that's where the Yankees are going to sink their teeth in. So it's tough. Chris Bassett, I take on a multi-year deal. I'd like him in the back end of the rotation, but again, I saw projections of him getting 20 million a year on his next deal, which is he, that's, that's like Zach Wheeler money. Zach Wheeler makes like 22 million a year. Is that, are, are they the same pitcher? I just don't think so. Um, so this is where it gets difficult. And this is where you, you admittedly, you want a move to be made, but then you look at the board and you're like, what move am I going to make? Aside from just signing Aaron judge, just sign him now. doesn't matter. Um, Yankees playing a little bit of a dangerous game there. Um, they're, they're going to want the market to determine his price. They better hope the market isn't higher than what they had imagined. But yeah, otherwise, I don't know. It, the moves are just bring back Rizzo, bring back Judge, and then I think you you float some options on the trade market. I don't know exactly what that would be. Heard rumblings about Otani. I talked about it for a little bit in my in my podcast monologues last week. Hmm. The Yankees trade package from the Athletics seemed a little bit crazy. Uh, I think if we called the Angels right now and said Glaber Torres, Oswald Praza, and Jason Dominguez for Shohei Otani. They laugh. That seems like the easiest. Like why would why would the Yankees not make that trade? Yeah. They have outfield depth and shortstop depth in the minor league system. They don't. Glaber Torres is a is at this point a uh, just above average MLB player uh, mm-hmm. from a production standpoint. So and he's costing ten million this year. Um, so you look at the. I, I, the only way that there we've talked about it before, there are two options here for the Yankees to figure this out, right? It's to blow past 290 million because if, like we said, if you bring back Rizzo and you bring back judge, you're already fl- flirting with 270 um, against the competitive balance or uh, the competitive balance tax number. Um, or you find a way to trade one of, well, let, let's rank the people you would trade here. Aaron Hicks, number one, Josh Donaldson, number two, um, Glaber Torres, number three. Those guys are all make Glaber Torres making 10 million. D, um, uh, Aaron Hicks making 10 million. Donaldson making 25 million. Then you have DJ LeMahieu, who I don't think is tradable. And I also would like on the team because of his versatility and his bat. Um, and then you get into the awkward conversation about trading Giancarlo Stanton. Like we talked about at the beginning of the off season, um, because that gives the Yankees more flexibility um, I love Giancarlo Stanton. I've come around on him since being critical of that trade, but still not getting enough. I don't think we're ever going to get enough. He's going into his age 33 season. I think now um, party's over kind of, you're going to get, you're going to get what you're going to get, you know, 240 average 25, 35 homers um, injure uh, injuries that, that hit at the absolute worst time. And you're unable to kind of get beyond um, then a couple of clutch postseason hits while uh, the rest of the team decides to shit the bed. So I don't know what the deal is. Um, I don't know what I don't know what the next move for the Yankees is. But you look at this, and it's complicated. So I understand I understand the uh, the hesitation here with maybe what the Yankees are willing to reveal because I don't think that there's a clear path. Like for example, do they revisit the Pablo Lopez talks with the Marlins? Like, do you talk to the Marlins after they did that shit? Do you talk to do you talk to the White Sox about Lucas Giolito, who's a free agent after next year, or the White Sox going to be able to sign him long-term? Like, 
lot of weird stuff here. And you you're staring down the barrel of the of the situation you don't want, right? The Yankees running it back and not improving. The Yankees running back this roster like they've done for two, three years now, thinking that it's going to be the difference maker, and then they lose in the in they they either lose to the Astros in the CS or they get bumped early on in an embarrassing showing. So it's uh, how better decide on that budget, like Cashman was saying at the GM meetings, because they they got to figure it out now. Early on in this offseason, I just can't shake the fact that, like, there are people who are higher level than us, right? We're fans. A lot of fans are sick of just getting into the dance mentality and of, you know, yeah. building for what What are they building for? Are they building for sustainable, um, you know, dominance or are they building for sustainable contention, which in their mind is 90 to 96 wins, and maybe you hit that lower end one year, and then maybe one year you hit that higher end and they're at 98, 99, and then you have a better shot at steamrolling, but they just watch the Phillies have a tough year, fire a manager, regroup, win just enough games to get in, and then sandblast their way to the World Series. So there's nothing in recent history that's going to change the way the Yankees operate here, and people at higher levels are not going to be distracted in the same way that we are by shiny objects entering every season saying this has to be the year this has to be the go for it year because if it's not i'm gonna you know sell my season tickets and stop buying chicken buckets to support hal and that's the kind of guy i am that if they don't do it this year i'm out then smash cut to march and i'm still in and i'm buying tickets and i'm doing all the things i said i wouldn't do the people at the top are not that reactionary so you do start to worry about whether the best case scenario for this year is just something akin to running it back if they do land with an Aaron Judge deal, if they do get Anthony Rizzo to join him, if they do sign Andrew Benintendi, then they patch together the back end of the rotation with some gibberish, considering Cole, Nestor, Sevi, Montas is certainly an above-average rotation. And if you've already spent the Benintendi-Judge money and Rizzo money, then you don't want to go make a big rotation expenditure – there are holes in the bullpen. Maybe they fill some of those internally. Maybe a Will Warren and a Matt Crook, who just got projected, gets called up to be a lefty out of the pen. Then they trade him at the deadline for somebody else like they did with J.P. Sears. I don't know. But you can definitely talk yourself into maybe this upcoming season just isn't the year. It's just not one of the target years. It's one of the years where they tell Judge and Rizzo, we've got the budget to bring you back. We don't have the budget to do much more. Look at the cavalcade of prospects on the way. It gets better for us, but we're not going to lie to you. Next year is not one of the seasons we're targeting to be infallible. Maybe we sneak into the wild card. Maybe the Blue Jays end up winning the East this year. Maybe the Orioles take a huge leap. Maybe we get lucky, but we probably don't. I can't help but shaking the feeling that the Yankees' brain trust, and the people who make decisions are attacking this offseason like next year could be a step back no matter who they bring back because they're just – they weren't supposed to win 99 games last year. Probably that was in the upper end of percentile outcomes. Mm-hmm. Maybe this year, the best they can offer, bringing back that same core, hoping for upper 90s wins, probably getting fewer than that, and then really going for it when the next wave of prospects arrive. Yeah, you look at the timeline too, right? You are Oswald Praza, probably at the very least, the opening day starting shortstop. Then you have Volpe, who... Um, Cashman said could be in the mix for the opening day job slash um, 
starting job. I don't, he said starting shortstop job, but then what do you do with Peraza? Are you trading Peraza? Um, is one of these guys taking over at second Peraza and Volpe have hardly played second base in their minor league careers. Um, you get years of experience with those guys. And then you presumably maybe have Dominguez in 2024. Then you have guys um, like Donaldson, uh, Montas, IKF coming off the books after that gives you a little bit more flexibility. So you get a full season of these core of these core three prospects in Cabrera, Peraza, and Volpe getting ample time at the MLB level uh, to prime them for the following season. And then the following season, you bring up another top talent, maybe in Dominguez uh, and a couple of the pitchers to, or in a couple of the pitchers in 2023 to also get prime for 2024. And then you're, you're looking at that. So I don't think, and you look at free agency as a whole outside of the shortstop market, it's, it's, it's total, whatever, like it's, it's total, whatever. And the last thing that you want your team to do is splurge on the options that are good, but not exactly what you need. Like, am I against the Yankees getting a top shortstop? No, I'm not. I hope they would make the right choice um, in that endeavor. I just, then you got to trade, then you have to nail the trade for one of your top prospects and ensure that you're getting the vet, the property in return. So it's they never do. And they don't, yeah. And they don't, and they're, and teams, we've already talked about it at the trade deadline. Teams didn't view Volpe as highly as the Yankees did. Teams didn't view Peraza as highly as the Yankees did. So at that point, just keep them. You like the way they look. You think that they could be the future of the organization, so have that be your plan. However, we just wish the plan was uh, put in motion and executed a little bit earlier because these guys are clearly ready. Like, you look at the Fangraphs Anthony Volpe stat. First player since being tracked minor league stats since 2006. First person to hit 20 home runs and steal 50 bags in a season. Whether Anthony Volpe's trajectory in terms of all of his – capabilities and and skill sets whether that is linear or not it's already obvious he is he has the makings of a potential generation generational talent so he has the five tools if you're going to sit there and wait for him to burnish all five of those tools in the minor league system then you're an idiot because that doesn't always happen that way why would he be motivated to not and this is this is just me speaking generally why, why would anybody be motivated to get as good as you could possibly be in the middle of Scranton, Pennsylvania? And, and that's like that. Oh, I'm working. Yeah. I'm working extra hard here to eventually get to the big league level. Like, no, you already proved yourself. You got to that level. You're doing all you can. The 22 game sample size at triple a didn't exactly blow your mind, but the highlights did the highlights were pretty sick from Anthony Volpe. So at that point, he's probably ready. What more do you, do you need to, do you need to see him hit 300? I don't think so. So if that's the plan that the Yankees go through with, I think that's a smart one. You don't want to spend money that you, you know, you you need to spend to get more talent, but you're not going to spend on the wrong talent. Um, and then the signing the high profile shortstop just makes this more complicated because then fans are going to be pissed if you sign a Trey Turner and then you don't get proper return for any of the other guys that you've waited on for three years now. You've invested all this time into these guys, and if you're not getting all-star level talent in return and really having the roster take the next leap, then you just wasted everybody's time. And that's another conflict with this, I think. Yeah. Am I crazy for not wanting a top shortstop? Like no, look at the I'm, deals, I'm look at the deals handed out last off season. I don't want Trevor story. 
I don't really care what the projections say. I don't want Trevor Story clogging up my middle infield. I don't <laughs> want uh, Corey Seager for that long and that length of time. There are better options. There are people who'd improve the Yankees' outlook more than adding Corey Seager at a huge dollar value to this roster when you do have to extend Aaron Judge. Uh, you know, if they if they plan to let Judge walk, so it's a different question entirely. But at this juncture, when when they seem to be pretty intent on bringing Judge back, having Corey Seager weighing down that roster is not what you want. One year of Carlos Correa last year, fine. But he doesn't have a long-term home yet either. Uh, I'm not sold on Trey Turner, certainly not at that price point. Stealing Xander Bogarts would be very fun. They're not going to do it. Um, Correa, I think the issue is, I, I don't think the Yankees should go after any of these top shortstops this offseason, really, which is crazy because last season it was like, we need to come away with yeah. one. The main issue is that getting Isaiah Connor Vallejo and Josh Donaldson was also wrong. So I'm sitting here saying, I don't want Trevor Story. I didn't want that year of Correa. I don't want to have to make Corey Seager, you know, my priority 1A, but at the same time, look how good the Yankees were last year with a defensive upgrade at third base who couldn't hit at all and, and who I still think was injured, but if he wasn't, that's even worse. And a shortstop who was a defensive upgrade who ended up being almost a downgrade from Glaber Torres who couldn't play the position. So the Yankees avoided several missteps last offseason in the shortstop market, but then made a, an arguably even worse mistake with where they allocated their money, yeah. which is why you can both defend them passing, but can't defend where they landed. I mean, Michael K called out that trade um, as a, a horrific mistake. And I think we, we, we will all agree. And then you run into the question, are they going to non-tender IKF this off season? I mean, he's due six and a half million dollars. If they're trying to remain under the tax, it's a lot of money. I don't and know. They don't want to use him. They don't want to use him come playoff games. It's like Manaya yeah. and the rotation. It's exactly. like, oh, we can carry, like, we have a budget, but we can carry IKF all year. He's a nice guy. But then when the games matter, we need to find a way to get him off the field. Like, okay, yeah. then why pay him $6 million? Yeah, why? And of course, Ken Rosenthal's fucking column today. Will Dodgers and Yankees show more restraint in free agency? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, about free agency, we were graced graced with Hal Steinbrenner appearing on television for us. Uh, we oh, needed this God. Because, yeah. because what other update could we possibly desire? What, uh, what other update are we searching for than what straight from Hal Steinbrenner's mouth? Um, he had a sit down interview with Meredith Morakovitz. Uh I don't know why I don't, I get the, here's the, here's the one thing that you could take away from it. It's nice of Hal Steinbrenner to do this. I don't think most owners do this. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't see many. Uh, Hal Steinbrenner has addressed the press a decent amount over the last couple of years. Him at, answering pointed questions about Aaron judges free agency, I think is on a scale uh, is on the admirable spectrum. It's probably on the lower end because he's not actually providing any information, but he's doing it. But at the end of the day, I think it's due diligence on his part rather rather than an act of benevolence to be like, hey, fans, here's the information you need to know. Um, this this is all the Yankees doing, right? They allowed Aaron Judge to hit free agency after he said time and time again he wanted to be a Yankee for life. Um, they essentially threw him under the bus right before opening day by announcing the fact that he declined their extension. And here are the details of the extension. And they were pretty good, and we think they were fair. And we kind of agreed, hey, not a bad deal, but also, like, who cares? Brian yeah. Cashman's excuse for that was that, oh, the information was going to get out anyway. 
Why? Is that because you don't fucking trust anybody in your organization? I don't know. I, okay, cool. So you're going to get ahead of it by setting the, the, by setting all the vibes off uh, right before opening day. Hal Steinbrenner comes on and he says, he's asked a question about if judge will be in pinstripes. And if he's talked to him, he said, he's had two conversations with judge. He'll quote, leave it at that. They were positive conversations. Don't know what that means. And then he said, they're going to do everything in their power to keep Aaron judge. And I don't know what that means because the only thing in your power is offering him the money he wants. There is no extracurricular here. I understand there is the business side of the game. There's the waiting game. You have to see who's offering what you have to figure out what is fair. You don't want to bid against yourself because the Yankees are famous for also doing that. Uh, They did it with Garrett Cole a couple of years ago. So I know that there is, an aspect of this where they need to tread somewhat lightly to avoid hamstringing their budget, which they've done countless other times with less superior talent. However, I don't know what everything you can to possibly do is you have the money to do it. $6 billion organization, let a money decision get in their way and put them in this precarious scenario that we're currently watching. Uh, Fans are legitimately worried. He might leave. I think he's going to stay. I think a lot of the analysts and pundits and insiders who believe that I think they're inclined to believe that for good reason, but would you rather have judge checked off and then you could start looking for other things that you need? Cause the roster is still very much incomplete or would you rather need all of those things and then still be uncertain about judges return? The only update anybody needs from Hal Steinbrenner or Brian Cashman is that Aaron judge is signed. I don't need to hear anything else. I don't need to hear that you talk to him. I don't need to hear that you wish his mom a happy birthday. I don't need to hear that. Uh, you got some new cool merch dropping for Judge uh, for the, for next year. Hopefully he returns because we got the, this new gavel that we're going to sell in the store. I don't care. The only update is that Aaron Judge returns, and that's the end of the story. I don't know why you need to pop on TV. I don't know why you need to talk to anybody else unless you're facing the press and the press is saying, hey, what's up with this? Cashman will give his half answers or his vague answers, which is fine. We're all accustomed to it. But we don't need these contrived moments of, fake clarity where you're trying to give us information that doesn't actually exist. I did like to hear that they're willing to up their bid from judges preseason proposed price of 36 million a year. That's really the only piece of information I have so far at my disposal that makes me feel any type of way in either direction. I don't care what Hal Steinbrenner has to say. I like that rumor. I like that they're growing more confident in the room by day. I certainly like the judge was his watching his wife run the marathon with Rizzo I like all of that. I think a reunion for Rizzo and the Yankees makes so much sense and could pave a pathway to judge reuniting with the Yankees. The notifications I'm waiting for are the Rizzo deal, which like honestly should come now. It won't. That happens after judge, judge, I think. Don't you? Really? I kind of think it happens before judge to help lure judge and prove to judge that like, hey, if we sign you, we're not letting your buddy go. He's not going to the Padres or Giants or Marlins. Like you guys, we understand that you work as a unit. I don't know. I mean, maybe judges the straw that breaks the camel's back, but I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that. And I'm waiting for uh Glaber Torres is traded. Like, I don't know how we've gotten. Yeah. I don't know how we've gotten so far without that feels inevitable. And uh, there was a bunch of stuff yesterday about how the rays are moving closer on trades. You're going to start seeing some rays trades over the next 48 hours. They already dealt G man Choi the Yankees version of that feels like finding a home for Glaber Torres, whether it is 
um, you know, to Seattle, which is a place that makes sense. And, and they love dealing with them. And Jesse Winker is reportedly available. Marco Gonzalez is too. Now I think he stinks. I don't want any part of him, but the salaries match and when Hey, whatever you want to do, I feel like Winker is a solid left field option, but I'd rather the Japanese player who seems to be a better fit, who's yes. currently being sold as an Aaron judge alternative when he should probably be an Aaron judge supplement. I prefer Ben Intendi. Uh, I like Winker. I like what he brings to the table, but he was like a below league average player last year. Um, it, honestly, a, an offensive downgrade from Clayber Torres. What's the uh, sad Seattle though? Hmm. Are you talking about Winker? Yeah. Yeah. He went to Seattle. So maybe he got a little sad. Yeah. He had a one Oh three OPS plus like, you're looking for a bounce back. He subtracted war from his team. I mean, he was okay. Look at, yeah. I mean, that's a crazy, he's also never played a full season. No, never. 110 games in his all-star season that you guys are all thinking of. He brings edge to the team. He's like a a little Josh Donaldson without the uh, implied racism, but I, uh, I still don't really think I would make that uh, Glaber tours for Winker straight up. Um, but it does feel like a Torres trade is an inevitability. And we went all on the roller coaster all season long with like, I thought he should be traded in April. I predicted he was going to get traded last off season. I ate crow in May and June. Then he had the worst August collapse of all time. Then he was the team's hottest hitter entering the playoffs. Then he got sick and then he never came back strong. And I just think there's too much middle infield talent in the future. It never works. And there's DJ LeMayhew still hanging out on the roster, who somebody I'd rather have on the roster. I'm sorry, I just would. So Glaber Torres, it will probably be the first move of the offseason. Then it's a question of when they figure out Judge. We're in lockout mode still mentally a little bit. When people were making deals, when Kershaw was signing right out of the gate, I was like, what in the world? But then I remember that, you know, December and January exist. It's not usually that in the offseason there's this big empty gap between the end of the season and the start of free agency and then the end of free agency we're gonna have moves in december we're gonna have moves at thanksgiving we probably need some to break the dam now um i don't know if it's gonna be aaron judge right away but like you said i don't really care about any of the judge rumors until judge's name is on a contract somewhere yeah i just uh, but and i know you have to wait things out but the Braves made early offseason moves. Why can't we do that? They did a salary dump for Joe, Jake Odorizzi, cleared up like $3 million in space. They signed Nick Anderson. Like, those are – why don't we do cool shit like that? The Cubs just released Jason Hayward, so maybe we oh, do another, that. Another yeah. subpar left field option no for the New to consider. Um, uh, he's only – he's somehow like 33. I feel like he should be 42 years old, but he's still young. <laughs> But yeah, but I mean, you're seeing early moves be made. I don't know why the Yankees never make early moves, right? Have they made? When was the last time they made an early move that actually had an? I don't think there's been one. I think they made. People were circulating. They made the James Paxton trade like four years ago this week. Uh, It'd be nice to see something like that again, but not exactly like that. That was another one. People were excited about James Paxton. The advanced metrics are great, and everybody you know who's grounded. Is like, yeah, I love James Paxton, but he uh, never stays healthy and never lives up to his potential. And we're like, oh, let's see. It's like, oh, he had an incredible month and a half, didn't stay healthy, and didn't live up to his potential. Yeah. Great. Next. Um, would love to just acquire somebody who I understand all the ins and outs of. And I'm just like unabashedly excited. But instead, it's always somebody who you're like, like oh, I mean, that might work for somebody else, but it's not going to work here. And then it doesn't <laughs> work here. 
it's just it's weird to me because the Yankees have the power to not have to wait for free agency, the free agency market to normalize or for the trade market to normalize. You've already seen it. Steve Cohen, whether you agree with Edwin Diaz's contract or not, he just fucking did it. He said, you know what? I want him back. I'm going to defer the money. I'll pay. I, it'll just, it'll count less against the luxury tax. Like I'm figure I'll do it now. I'll figure it out later. Braves making trade, signing guys coming off injury for, you know, hopeful flyers, like just doing it, doing it fairly quickly to get ahead of some things. Cause they know that theoretically when the market normalizes, that usually means you're, you could be at a disadvantage, either the players that you wanted are gone or the trade prices for some of these players were elevated. Like, look, the Yankees maybe didn't get, I don't know. You, let's use the Luis Castillo example, just hypothetically. It maybe if the Yankees asked about Luis Castillo earlier before the trade deadline, they don't run into a situation where the Mariners come back they get all their fuck. They they get on this win streak, and then they're willing to overpay like a bunch of psychos, and then outbid everybody else. So instead of wait, that's a situation where theoretically you could be waiting too long to wait for the market to establish itself, and then someone's like, "No, nah, fuck it, I'm going to jump to the front of the line. I could pay. I'm going to pay a lot more because I want to, and I know that I'll kick all you guys out of the bidding, and it makes my life easier. So maybe just get ahead of it and be a little bit extra aggressive. I don't know if that's possible. We've talked at length previously about the Yankee struggles on the trade market. There is a Yankees tax I've heard from a couple insiders that that's actually the case too. So I don't, I don't know, but more times than not, it feels it's just passive. It's passive. It's waiting. It's, Oh, what's going to come to us? Spoiler alert. Nothing is nobody really wants to come here anymore because of the media, because of the fans, because of the taxes probably. Um, and it doesn't make life any easier for you when you have to go after high profile targets and keep your players and also supplement the roster with other talent. Um, so maybe just get ahead of it for once. I think there's still time. You got like a couple days, maybe start figuring it out. Maybe, maybe, maybe Aaron judge moved to Tampa, you know, so maybe San Francisco is no longer his hometown. Maybe he wants to stay home in Tampa, Florida and sign <laughs> with the Rays. Uh, who knows? I certainly don't know. Uh, we're still waiting for the dam to break anywhere, anywhere at all. Wondering which Rays will go somewhere else and who they'll replace them with and how they'll win 97 games next year. Ooh, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm on tenterhooks. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, the New York Giants are 7-2. and two. Maybe it's football season for you. It's football season for us. The Jets are nearing first place. Uh, the Rangers are okay. The Knicks are on the road to being a catastrophe. We're just waiting for that baseball offseason to really click has not clicked yet until next time when it hopefully will. We'll be back on Thursday with more, hopefully with more information and less anger directed at the Hal Steinbrenner and the totally innocent Hal Steinbrenner interview that aired last week, but really accomplished next to nothing. We're looking for the info. We're waiting, and we'll give it to you as soon as we got it. Until next time, I'm Adam Weinerb. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinerb. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and live on YouTube, streaming 2 o'clock Eastern time, Mondays and Thursdays, all off-season long. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? At Tommy's underscore takes, baby. Um, having fun, but need something to happen. Got to start chatting with people. Let's, let's come up with some crazy scenarios. It's my favorite part of the offseason. Um, mm-hmm. Head on over to yanksgoyard.com. We got plenty of content there for you. Um, talk to us on the official Yard Twitter account, at yanksgoyardfs. Um, we'll talk to you next on Thursday. And, guys, Adam's going live on the Baseball Insiders podcast with an actual baseball insider, Robert Murray, at 3.30 today. Um, 
we're going to plug that in. You guys head on over there. Just stay on YouTube. Find the link. Click it. Uh, there probably will be some Yankee storylines in there, I assume. Right? Oh, yeah. Did I? I plan. I plan on it. I mean, you okay. don't have to go far. It's the same website. Just a different channel. Let's do it. Go find up. You'll be there. All right. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiner for the Yankee Yard Podcast. We'll see you on Thursday. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.